So good to see all the beautiful faces. Y'all look good this morning. Y'all look good. I was standing over there on that side. Somebody smelled good too. Wasn't sure who it was. Didn't think it was the kids. It was Bishop. That's who it was. It was Bishop. You have a very nice lady's perfume, let me tell you. (laughs) Smells good in here, looks good in here, feels good in here. Must be church. Must be my church. Come on, City Grace. Amen. Amen. So, again, I want to say welcome to everybody. So good to see all the smiling faces. And uh, make sure that you make plans for Easter. Make sure that you're inviting someone to Easter. If you attend here pretty regularly, you should bring somebody to Easter service at City Grace. Uh, whoop, whoop. That went over quiet, didn't it? If you attend here regularly, you should bring somebody, somebody to church on Easter here at City Grace. There we go. It's slipped and getting old. Just slipped right past that one. But I know that you're, uh, they're going to be blessed um, being in service with us. And, and I'm looking forward to Easter this year. So make sure that you are making plans. Be intentional about bringing somebody to the house of God on Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And as we continue today, and as I welcome everybody in, we're here in the second lesson of just a couple of lessons that we're doing um, that we called Kingdom Sense, where we're actually talking uh, about generosity and what it means to be generous um, if you are a part of the church or a part of this church. And really this morning, there, there are a couple of different audiences in the room. And if you're new here, then you might be in that first audience category. And, uh, you know, you're new to our church. Maybe you're new to church in general. And, and you're not really a part of a church. You don't have a place maybe that you call your church home. I, I really, I think if you'll plug into these principles and these concepts, that you can still be blessed even if you don't necessarily give here or be generous here. Look, I get that. Y'all don't know us. You don't know who I am. All you know is that I'm really good looking and standing up here and that kind of, that's all you know. You don't know who I am. So I get, I'm just kidding with that part. But, uh, you know, you, you, I understand why you may not want to give to a certain church. But I believe, I believe that if you will take Jesus and his words at face value, if you will put Jesus' words into practice, that you can still reap the blessing and the benefit of what his words have promised us. And Jesus promised in the New Testament that it is better to give, more blessed to give than to receive. And when we study that word out uh, in the original Greek language that it was spoken in, he's basically saying, if I can put it into kind of, you know, 2018 English, you will be happier if you give, then you will be if you just receive. And so who doesn't want to be happy, right? I mean, we all want to be happy in life. And so if you will kind of figure out where or a place or a need that you can give to, if you can plug into my lesson, at least on that level this morning, you can be blessed. Uh, we believe it. We, we've said it around here a few times. We love saying it, that uh, not only do we think that Jesus will make your life better, but Jesus will make you better at life. Even if you're not a full-on Jesus follower, even if you're still trying to figure it out and don't really know where you stand, just give him a try. Just give him a try, and I know that you're going to be blessed. So give somewhere, and you will be happier. I promise you that. Now, the second audience in the room is, is those that are those that maybe call City Grace their, their church home. And uh, you, as you give, I think you should partner with your family. I just think that's the way it is. God's put you into a church family, into a church community, and I think you should just 
partner with us in what we're trying to do in, in bringing the kingdom of God into our city and into our area and into the lives of the people that we love. And so today I, I'm speaking to you mainly, but again, I, I didn't want to leave out those that may be new this morning. Plug into what I'm saying, and I think that you will be blessed. Um, so today I want to share kind of a new perspective on finances. Maybe it's not a new perspective for you. Maybe it's kind of just a reminder or maybe a twist on what you've heard before, and I pray, I pray that it blesses you, but in, in today's uh, uh, lesson today and in, in my teaching today, I want to do three things, and I'm going to teach really more than kind of do a deep Bible explanation or uh, exploration, and today I want to do three things. I want to remind us of God's plan, and then I want to give us a generosity plan, and then we're all going to come around the front together and sing a song and high-five each other and smile a lot and thank God for his blessings, and then we're going to go eat lunch, all right? So I'm going to remind us of God's plan, I'm going to give us a generosity plan, and then we're all going to come together and sing and celebrate at the end. But right off the bat, I kind of wanted to talk about why we called this series Kingdom Sense. Why do we bring that word kingdom into the mix? What are we talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God? And a lot of it goes to the whole idea, the whole concept of what God's kingdom is in the New Testament. What is the kingdom of God or the, the equal phrase? It's the same thing, but using different words. What is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus seemed to always be talking about when we, when we read the words of Jesus in the New Testament? And as you study out the kingdom of God, and I'm going to save you a long Bible study this morning and just kind of tell you, the kingdom of God is not a place far away where God is king. The kingdom of God happens when there is a heart with a condition that has made God king on the inside. So the kingdom of God is not a place far away where God is king, but it is a condition of our hearts when God is king. And so when you read about Jesus going around preaching about the kingdom, that's what Jesus was doing, was trying to prepare people's hearts so that they would make God their king. And if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, it says we were all made in the image of God. We were all created to look like God, to reflect God out into creation and reflect creation's praises back to God. But somewhere along the line, that image got messed up. It got twisted and distorted and broken. And we see that kind of being played out in our world today, don't we? There are a lot of people in our world, and maybe we've even been those people at different times and different seasons of our life, times and seasons and people where God's image is just nowhere present in somebody's life. And so the kingdom work of Jesus Christ is to change a heart so that that heart can be made back into the image of God, to bring the image of God, to bring the kingdom of God back into a heart and life. This is the essence of Christianity. And I think it's so important that we talk about this right up front because for too long, and I think in too many places, Christianity has been a lot about a moment or about a decision. Christianity for too many people has just been something that happens at an altar, what we maybe call a conversion experience. But then people go home and like nothing changes, nothing's better, nothing's really different. You know, and so it, it, Christianity has just been about a moment or a decision in people's lives. And that's not what Jesus talked about. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, he said. But yet for too many people who call ourselves Christians or who call themselves Christians, life doesn't really end up any more full after this moment or this decision that they make for Jesus than it was before. Life's not really 
any different. But Jesus, when he was here talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, when he gave his most famous, arguably his most famous sermon, one of his most long, uh, his longest sermons in Matthew's cha- Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle, he talked about prayer, and he was going to teach his disciples how to pray. And it's right there in the front part of his prayer, right? Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Anybody know the next words? Thy kingdom come. Not like take us out of here to there, but let your kingdom come. And then the next words, your will be done where? On earth as it is done in heaven. And so Jesus was here preaching about the kingdom, about us bringing the kingdom, about his followers bringing, bringing the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God into our individual hearts. And as we learn to be kingdom people, as we learn to surrender every area of our lives to the kingship of God, then we are changed, and in result, the world around us is changed. And God's kingdom and God's rule and the blessings and the peace that come from that spill out of us and onto the people that are around us. And that's the way that the kingdom moves into the world. But to be a part of this thing, you have to understand. We have to understand. City Grace, we've got to get this. This church and Christianity and following Jesus is about way more than a moment. We are about the Jesus movement. We are about the mission of Jesus Christ to bring the kingdom of God into our world. Well, that's why I'm here. Anyway, I don't know. But I want you to join with me. But our hearts have to change to align with his heart. And and we have to learn to live with each other from that new condition. We have to learn to treat each other in new ways. We have to learn to care for each other in new ways, to give to each other and to forgive each other in new ways. And out of that new way of being human, we shine like a beacon of hope to the world around us. And man, does our world need some hope. It's messed up out there. Come on, raise your eyebrows really high and tell somebody next to you, it's messed up out there. It is messed up. Really? Democrats versus Republicans. Rich versus poor. Black versus white. Police versus civilians. All of these different things. Everything is so divided. Come on. You've been unfriending people on Facebook like it was, you know, you got a prize after you saw some of the things that they were posting. No, nobody else did? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't unfriend anybody. I promise. You're still my friend, even if I don't comment on your birthday. I promise. You're still my, still my friend. But listen, to get to that place where we bring God's kingdom on earth, to get to that place where we can show the world a different way to be human, we have to live differently, City Grace. We have to think differently. We have to prioritize things differently. That is what we are called to. We are tasked with bringing heaven to earth. Can I hear a good amen this morning? So you've got to understand as we move into talking about kingdom sense and kingdom resources that the resources that we have at our disposal disposal should be consecrated for that purpose. This is what it means to live a life of faith. Boy, it got quiet. 
Wait, Jared, you're talking about revival, and then all of a sudden you talked about money. What in the world's going on? Everything that we have, our time, our resources, our talents, everything that we are is to be lived out in faith. We are walking by faith, not by sight. We count everything that we see as temporary, but Paul said we live for what is not seen. We listen to the words of Jesus who said, if you will put God's kingdom word work first, then the one who clothes the lilies and feeds the birds will make sure that you have everything that you need. But you have to put the kingdom work first. And so it is through us, it is through us that around us, God is still at work. It is only through us that around us, God is still at work. It is our words of peace and of hope that will reach the drug addict and give them hope that they can be free again. It is our hands that hug an orphan or a child that maybe is separated from their parents or maybe separated from one of their parents. God loves them through us. God does not love them apart from us. It is to the poor that we will come with blessing. It is to the poor that we will come with offers of generosity and of education and of opportunity. It is through us that we can offer restoration of family and family values and put parents maybe that were estranged from children back together with those children and bring light to the darkness that comes through you and me it does not come apart from us and I believe that how well we love the people that are trapped in these circumstances which are the same circumstances that we came from We just sang about it. I've seen you move the mountains for me. I believe you will do it again for me or maybe somebody else in my life. We believe that God can work through us. We believe that God can work miracles through us. And it is is by how well we love the people that are in these circumstances that these people will begin to see that there is hope in God. That there is a possibility of a new future. That Jesus wants nothing from them, but Jesus wants everything for them. And as, now listen, I'm sold on this thing. As you begin to meet the physical needs of people, as you begin to show physically and in real ways and in very practical ways that you love people, they will begin to ask you spiritually for the things that they hunger for in the spiritual realm as well. It is as you, this is what Jesus did. Read the stories. This is what he did. He met people at the point of their need to lead them into the resource for their spiritual need. And it is as we meet the physical needs of people around us that people will begin to come to us and ask for the solutions to their spiritual needs as well. It's only after that, after we have shown ourselves to be a blessing, that people can begin to hope through our words that, yes, there can be forgiveness from their sins and from their past. It's only as we teach them about the beauty of baptism that they can begin to believe that their past can be washed away because it happened for me. My guilt was washed away. My My shame is now part of my history, but no longer part of my future. It's only as they trust us that we are for them, that they will believe the message about the infilling of God's spirit, that God wants to walk with them and live with them and be involved in every moment of their lives. See, it's only through us that they come into this new family. That's it. It happens through us. We are God showing the world he loves what it can look like when someone makes God 
their king. That's very simply what we're all about. God accomplishes his rescuing kingdom work around us through us. It happens through us. Turn around and tell somebody, you are God's plan. It's so much more than fire insurance. Christianity is so much more than a moment at an altar. It is so much more than that. It is the mission. It is the kingdom. And frankly, that's why a lot of people have walked away from Jesus and from church. Because they've had a moment, but nothing else changed. They had an experience, but their life was never any different. They had a moment, and then they left the service, and there was no more to the experience. Church just seemed like it was redundant after a while, and it didn't seem like anything was really magically happening in their lives. And and I had a moment at an altar, or maybe I had a moment at baptism, but it just didn't seem like there was anything else to what the church was offering. And listen, I'm kind of pointing fingers at us as the church for this. It's through the messaging of the church in in North America. It's through the things that we have measured as a church that the moment has come to be the most important thing. The altar experience has come to be the most important thing instead of us realizing that the moment or the altar experience was nothing more than the beginning Now, I want to change my words. Not nothing more. I don't mean to. Anytime you start talking about this, there is the danger of trivializing what happens at that moment, at that new beginning. It is a new birth. It is a new miracle of life. It is not as though that is not important. But Jesus was ultimately concerned with what happened after the new birth. Jesus never intended for salvation to be about a moment. Jesus intended salvation to be about the kingdom mission of God. That's why the last thing that he told his first followers was to go into all the world and make disciples. That passage of scripture is called the great co-mission. It's about the mission This is what we have been called to. This is what we have been called to do. But too many Christians, and we ourselves at times, have been guilty of just behaving as though God wanted to magically do some kind of work around us, but without us. But I am here to tell us, City Grace, I'm here to wake us up to the calling of God on our lives. We are not waiting for a revival at City Grace. We are the revival here in this church. We are not waiting on a move of God for our city. We are the move of God. We are not waiting for the grace of God to come and be more real to somebody. We are the grace of God. We are the bringers of hope. The ones that, oh, I wish somebody besides two people would knew. Do you realize what you are? Do you realize who you are? Do you realize what he has placed inside of you? I'm stirred up about this. Because if you don't understand your mission, if you don't understand why you were saved, then your salvation will be cheap and plastic it will only last for a moment or two, and then it will be gone again. And your life will never be full and fulfilled because you just thought it was about a moment. You just thought it was about a moment. 
but that's not what God had in mind. God is on a mission to rescue his creation. And so God has chosen to give us resources and then see what we as his children return back to him as we engage with this mission. And I could break it down for you theologically. I could. I could take a lot of time and talk to you about the judgment seat of Christ. Read about the judgment seat of Christ. That wasn't for lost people. That was for the church people. Everything we do for God is going to be measured and weighed and God's going to burn some of it up and see if it lasts. I could talk to you about well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well believed, not well known, well done. I could talk to us about the three servants with the talents and how that the one that took what he had been given and buried it in the ground was ultimately thrown out of the kingdom. Hello, we were saved for more than a moment. Our new birth was just that. It was a new birth. But there is a whole big life in front of you, and you need to partner with God. I was listening recently to uh, T.D. Jakes. I, I love T.D. Jakes, and, he just, and I, I wish my voice sounded like T.D. Jakes' voice or you know Morgan Freeman's voice. I said that when I get to heaven, I don't care about the rest of the transformation of this body because it's pretty good. But, you know, just like, just, just, <laughs> Chelsea's like, you need to rethink that prayer. But I, I just wish my voice was, I mean, T.D. Jakes' voice, it sounds like booming, deep gravel. And then just to keep him humble, God gave him a lisp too, you know, just kind of, <laughs> But I just, <laughs> but I, I love, I was listening to what he had to say, and he had something to say so beautiful. He was talking to the church, and he said, Look, God gifts us with opportunities, and what we do with those. <laughs> and what we do with them is our gift back to Him. Okay, hold on, I gotta move past this now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God gifts us with opportunities. Now hear me, what you do with the opportunities that God gives to you is your gift back to him. Think about this. God has given his children talents and gifts and resources and then, like the good heavenly father that he is, he waits eagerly in anticipation to see what we will bring back to him. See, I, I shared with you before a, a picture that Jael had drawn of me when she was in preschool. And I love that picture. And, but Jael is always, she's like my little artist, you know, and she's in Sunday school. She's no Picasso, but I love her. I'm just, I'm just being real, just being real. And I love what Jael makes for me. And I, I carried this, I, I've... As I was thinking about it, I actually carry this in my briefcase, and I have no idea what it's made out of. It's little, like, bubble things that she, like, melted together or something like that. And it looks kind of, I think it's supposed to be our dog, Ringo, but it looks like an ant had a baby with a demon who was crossed with something else. I don't know what this is, but I keep this in my briefcase. I love it. I think it's awesome. I love buying JL resources. We bought her for her birthday a couple of years ago, this fancy student's art easel. 
You should see it. And like it all, it comes in a box and then like you unpack the box like a transformer and it turns into this easel, you know, and then you're supposed to wear a beret and sit in a park and draw pictures of a mountain or something, you know. And we gave that to JL and you should have seen her eyes light up. I love giving these things to JL because she takes these things in the 101 colors of pencil or whatever it is that we give her. And she goes and she paints and she draws all of these things. And then she gives them to me in my, in my office at home. There's like a stack of things that JL's made and she's created for me. And I'm telling you, if you're a parent in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because your refrigerator is covered in ugly art. Come on. Can't somebody do a turkey without a hand? Like, you know, come on. Give me something a little bit better than that. But we love it, don't we, parents? Man, we love that. We're like putting it on Facebook. Look what my kid did. You know, like, hope they get a real job because they're going to starve if they try and survive off their art. Like, that's not happening. But we love it as parents when we give things to our kids and our kids take those things and bring something back to us. Right? Try this out on your next birthday. Give your kid $200 and the link on Amazon to go buy you what you want. I'm telling you, it will be the best birthday gift you ever get from your kid. That's the way to get the birthday gifts that you want. This is what God does with us. God gives us the resources. God gives us opportunities. And then God waits to see what his children will bring back to him. But we live the Christian life as though God is the one that's supposed to provide the resources and God's the one that's supposed to go and do the work. And we just kind of sit off to the side because we had our moment one time 30 years ago and bless the Lord, I'm going to heaven someday. I can't wait to get out of here and go to the kingdom of heaven, totally missing the theology of what Jesus is talking about, that we are tasked with bringing heaven down here. It is not an escapist theology. It is that God wants to bring heaven on earth through you. And I love, I, I love this concept. If you think about your heavenly father, I mean, the, the carpentry of Jesus aside for a moment. The, the creator God never made a forest of chairs or a field of tables. He knew that humanity would need tables and chairs one day, but he never made, all his years of being God, he never made one table. All his years of being God, he's never made one chair. He just made a tree, and then he gave it to us, and it is up to us to imagine what that tree could be. And so God gives us a tree, and when we get this tree from God, we're supposed to look at that tree and imagine a table and imagine some chairs sitting around it and imagine an art easel or imagine a ship that can sail on the oceans and explore worlds we have never been to. When God gives us something, we are supposed to look at what God has given us and imagine what it could be. And some of us, we don't do this with the things that God has given us. We don't look at our resources that way. God has given some of us children. And we have not looked at our children and dreamed about what our children could be in God. God has given you a marriage. 
and you're suffering through it instead of dreaming and imagining what your marriage could be. God has given you a skill. God has given you a trade. God has given you a paycheck. He's given you a car. God has blessed you with resources, and now your heavenly Father is sitting and waiting for you to turn on your brain and to engage your heart and to give something back to God. See, our job is to take the raw material that God has given to us and to carve and to form his gift to us into a gift back to him. But the problem with us in church sometimes is that we pray for furniture. We've been praying for a table. God, give me a table. God, I need a table, just one table, Lord. Just a table for two, that's all I, God, give me a table. And God is sitting back and saying, no, I don't do that. I have blessed you with a tree. It's time for us to look around our lives and to find all the trees that God has placed into our stewardship. You have everything that you need to do what God has called you to do. God has a work for your life. God has a design on your life. God has a purpose for your life. There's a reason that you were saved when you were saved. There's a reason that you live where you live. There's a reason you drive what you drive and you earn what you earn. God has given you a tree and God is waiting to see what this church was going to do for our world. He's waiting to see what you are going to do for your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends to bring the kingdom of God into our world. Turn around and tell somebody, you have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. See, if I can use another analogy, we have been given seed. We want God to give us vegetables. We want God to give us carrots. And God has given us seed. Now, can you imagine if there was a farmer who was hungry? Man, he was hungry. But you know, when you plant seeds, you're not always guaranteed that you're going to get a crop. And so out of fear, but facing his hunger, that farmer was to take his seed and store it up in a barn so that he would still have seed in the future? That would be silly. That guy wouldn't really be a farmer, was he? would he? We'd wonder where he went to school. What kind of farming school did you graduate? We might feel sorry for the farmer. We might feel compassion for the farmer. But if we really love the farmer, we have to explain the law of the harvest. The farmer, if you are hungry now and you don't want to be hungry in your future, then you need to take what God has placed in your hands and you need to sow it into the ground so that you can reap a harvest later. See, farmer, if you want carrots to eat, you need to take those carrot seeds and put them into the ground today so that you can eat carrots in your future. But too many of us look at our resources as the solution to our problems when really the resources that we have are just the the, the seed to what God wants to give us in our future. See, God gave some of us a job and all we can do is complain about our job. We wonder why our job is not fulfilling to us. 
We wonder why our job leaves us, leaves us dissatisfied. Your job was never meant to fill your spiritual belly. Your job is just a seed. Your job is something that you're supposed to take and plant in the kingdom of God and see what God can multiply and produce out of your job. The problem that we have is that we have never taken our job to God in prayer and asked him, what do you want us to do with this job? We've never taken our paycheck to God and asked, what do you want us to do with this paycheck? What do you want us to do with these benefits? See, some of us live in places that we'll never see on the pages of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. It'll never be on a magazine. And guess what? Your next house will never be on a magazine either. They don't print magazines or take pictures from magazines where I live. I don't know about where you live. But no matter how nice your house ever is, it will never make your life full. Because your house is just a seed. Your house is just a resource. What you're supposed to do is take your seed to God and dream of what your house could be. To ask God how he could possibly use your house. To ask God what it is that he wants to do in your neighborhood. To ask God which neighbor he caused you to live there for. See, God has given us resources and money. And we think that what we need is more money. My life will be full if I have more money. You weren't supposed to get full on money. Your life was never supposed to be fulfilled once you've earned a million dollars or two million dollars or whatever goal you want to set for yourself. Your spiritual belly is still empty because you mistook money for the solution when money was just the seed. We are to take what God has given us and plant it for the kingdom and dream of what could be. See, we've forgotten the mission of God. We've forgotten the kingdom of God of God. We've forgotten the rescue work of God. We had our moment, but we've forgotten about the mission. We're comfortable and we're saved, but we have stopped dreaming about what God wants to do in our future. And can I suggest to us that if we are not consistently and cheerfully generous toward God's kingdom... What Jesus talked about last week when we looked at our lesson talked about being rich toward God. If we are not rich toward God, then maybe we have forgotten that we are supposed to be part of the mission. We're living for ourselves. And we're happy with a moment when Jesus promised a full and fulfilling life. And he is the father. And we are the sons and the daughters. He provides the materials And we turn his gifts into works of art that we then give back to God. We've forgotten that we're supposed to be like children. But Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say you won't go to heaven. Because that's not what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is God's rescue mission on earth. It's the place where God is king, when God is made king. And if you don't become like a little child, then God is not king in your life. 
But just like a child, we are to always depend on the Father, always gladly receive from His hand, and always cheerfully give back to the Father. Amen. Can we pause right here and just pray and ask God, help us to remember who we are. Help us to remember that you have called us to a mission, Jesus. Help us to remember, Jesus, that you are still at work in the world around us and through us. Help us to re-engage with your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, last week, we talked about greed and kind of redefined greed and basically landed on the idea that when we are greedy, when we're wrestling with greed, it's because we are assuming that everything that has come to us is for us. Greed assumes that everything that comes to me is for me. But really, I don't think the majority of us are greedy. When it comes to money and generosity and giving to the church and to the kingdom of God, I think most of us are scared. What if we give too much? What if we don't have enough left over? What if I can't pay my bills? And the what if becomes the enemy of what could be because we're not trusting in God. We're thinking that we have to be the ones to supply what we need. Fear makes us irrational. Fear makes us irrational. Come on, have you ever turned off all of the lights in your house and as a full-grown man run up the stairs? Me neither. Have you ever heard a noise in your house at 2 a.m. and asked your wife to go check it out? Me neither. We get irrational when we are fearful. And we get irrational when we are fearful over our resources. We forget whose hand our resources have come from. We forget just who it is that is promised to always provide. And we close our fists really tight and we try and make our lives full by eating seed. You're not a parakeet. You're not. You're supposed to be an eagle. Eagles don't eat seed. Eagles eat meat. And that's about all I know about eagles. But you're an eagle. You're not a parakeet. My wife has me on this diet thing, and it's actually a good diet, but you can't have any of those carbs. I, I keep telling her I'm waiting for the opposite diet, like when you can only have carbs. Like that's the diet I want. Jesus, please make it happen in your name. But there's this stuff that she buys called Ezekiel bread. It's called sprouted bread. And it's basically like slices of cardboard <laughs> with chunks of bird seed in it. That's just, we're not supposed to eat that. I'm supposed to grind that up and make it into a cupcake. Like that's, I'm not supposed to eat a sprouted, not sprouted. They call it sprouted bread, but it's not sprouted. I don't get what they're trying to do. It's like a marketing scheme that just failed. Like that doesn't work. Calling it sprouted doesn't disguise what it really is but we can't get full off of seed i gotta get past the diet bread i stuck I mean, it's just it pains me it's stuck in my mind like it gets stuck in my throat just like it's bad but we weren't meant to get full off of seed you can't eat a bunch of seed and be healthy that's not what it was about and paul knew this 
Paul, when he was starting all these early churches, he knew the danger of trying to get full off of seed. And so he had to tell the early church, listen, you have to realize that everything you have was meant to accomplish God's work in the world around you. And so he wrote them a letter, and in this letter, he gave them a plan. It was a plan for being generous. It was a plan for being joyful and cheerful as they were generous. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he tells them, listen, you guys need to remember this, that whoever sows sparingly, and here it is, Paul has already tied money to sowing. He's already tied money to seed. He's already, he's already telling us just in this words that, that the words that he has chosen, that the money was never meant to be what makes you full. The money is for doing something with. So whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's saying you shouldn't just give when somebody puts a sad picture on the screen. You shouldn't just give when they play slow music. You should give cheerfully. You should give in a way that makes you smile about it. The problem with most of us is that when we give, we frown about it. God wants to turn your frown upside down as you give all around the town. And you shouldn't be a clown. That's all I got. But you shouldn't be... You, Listen, we should not be guilted into giving. That is completely 100% against what Paul is teaching the church. Guilt should be nowhere in your giving. It should be joyful. It should be something you are happy to do because of all that has been given to me. God, I can't keep this to myself. All the light and all of the love and everything that you have given to me, Jesus, how can I keep this to myself? It's like seed that you have given to me and I'm not designed to eat the seed. I'm going to take this and sow it, God, for your kingdom. I want to see you work in the lives of the people around me. I want to see you work in fair field and in Vacaville. I want to see you work in my job and in my neighborhood. I want to see you work. The father can't wait to see what you do with what he has given you to sow. And he's looking at our heart because how our heart is, the condition of our heart when we give will tell the father how engaged with his mission we are. And then Paul goes on. said, y'all got to remember something about your seed. You're worried about not having enough seed. You're worried about producing your own seed. You're trying to work tons of overtime, and you're neglecting your family trying to get more seed. Well, I don't know where that came from. Hello. We do this. We do this. We, I want to stop, and I want to tell somebody, stop doing this. Provide for your family, yes, but then be with your family. 
Paul is telling us, he goes on and he tells, look, you guys are worried about getting enough seed. Now to, now he who supplies seed to the sower. What did Paul, why, why are you putting that sentence in there? Because you have to know where your seed comes from. You have to know whose job it is to give you seed. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Everybody say increase your store of seed. Nobody say get rich. You see that right there. See, this is the problem with the prosperity doctrine. Well, if you give to God $10 today, he'll give you a BMW tomorrow. That is so false. That is so off. It says if you give, he's going to increase your store of seed. He's going to give you more to sow. He might give you more money, but it's not intended for you. It's intended for somebody else. He will increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. These are your right works. You're doing the right work. You're doing the right thing. If you want to have a lot of good things and right things that shake heaven and make God happy, then you need to start sowing your seed. You need to ask God for a bigger supply of seed. It's about the work of the kingdom. It's about heaven on earth. It's not intended to make us rich and make our pocketbooks fat. And he goes on and he says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. When you give and when you're generous, you prove your Christianity. You prove that you are a follower of Jesus. And because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others, everybody say others, will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, you, you brag about the gospel. You brag how your life has changed. You brag how you're a new person. You brag how you're changed. But you have no evidence unless you are generous with your seed. You see what he's doing there? He's tying your obedience to the gospel with sowing generously. He's tying our obedience to the gospel with what we do with our resources. And he goes on and he talks about those others a little bit more. And he says, and they're going to start praying for you. And their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Grace comes to us so that grace can be given by us. Your blessings were never meant to stop with you. Your resources were never meant to stop at your door or at your doorstep. But God lets grace be multiplied through what we give. So if we're not giving, where's the evidence of God's grace? If we're not giving, where's the evidence of the gospel, the good news? The word gospel means good news. You want to give somebody good news? Give them a supply. Meet them at the point of their need. Lift their load. Carry the burden for a little while. 
They're down. They're broken. They're under a weight of care. But grace comes when we give out of what God has given to us. And then Paul goes on and he leaves us with this verse 15 that we have used for all kinds of spiritual things. But Paul ties it to generosity and he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This gift of giving seed and the gift of seed being sown and the gift of reaping a harvest of righteousness in the lives of other people. That is the indescribable gift of God to this world. When you're wondering what the heavenly father is given to the broken lives of the people that are in your world, you are it. If you are wondering if God has forgotten the people that are lost and outside of the church family, when you see the brokenness and you see all of the hell that they live with and you're wondering where is God's gift and where is God's goodness to them, it's in us. It is waiting in us. He has given seed to us to go and to sow his grace into this world. But if we're only living for a moment and we're not thinking about the mission, then they will stay lost and they'll stay in darkness. Once again, I say to this church, we are not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God for our world. We are not waiting on revival. We are Oh, come on, somebody shout, we are revival. Come on, shout, we are the hope. We got to act like it. We got to give like it. We got to be generous like it. But if that generosity isn't coming from a heart that is smiling and joyful and filled to overflowing with the goodness of God, We've forgotten the mission. We've forgotten the calling and the kingdom. But this is what good news looks like. This is what the gospel does for the people around us. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. I'm going to give you the plan, and then we'll be done this morning, and we'll come and sing around the front here in just a little bit. But Paul... This is a second letter that Paul had written to the Corinthians when he's talking about this generosity thing. But he had already written them before and talked to them about the plan that they needed to give. And so I'm going to show you what he wrote to them the first time in his first letter to them. And then we're going to put all three parts together and then we're going to come up around the front and sing. But in the first Corinthian letter in chapter 16 and verse 1, he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In other words, I told the churches in Galatia to do this. Now, you guys are in Corinth. I'm telling you to do this. And so I think it would be a pretty good practice here in Fairfield if we did this as well. Can I hear an amen? And he said, on the first day of every week, everybody in the room say priority. Paul said, do this first. Do this first. When you start your new week, when you're looking ahead to your new week, Do this first. And since you guys usually gather for church on Sundays, do it on Sunday. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Everybody say percentage. See, not all of us can give as much as others if we're looking strictly at amounts. 
But all of us can give as much as each other if we can give based on percentage. In fact, when you look at the story that Jesus told of the woman with the two mites, she actually gave more than people that were throwing handfuls of money into the offering, wasn't she? Thank God he lets poor people be counted as giving a lot. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? Jesus, I was broker than a joker. Amen. Till you gave me that percentage rule. But the lowest income person in the church can still give as much or more than the highest income person in the church. We can all share this burden of God's kingdom work equally because we give by percentage. And he goes on. So give, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And I like Paul because he hated taking offerings. And I hate taking offerings too. I don't like taking offerings. But Paul is telling them, because you are sowing now, you're going to see your harvest of righteousness in the future. Paul is telling them, don't wait until you see a need. Start preparing to meet that need now. Don't wait until somebody shows you a sad picture. Start putting money away to bless somebody else's life and to show God's grace now. And in fact, just go ahead and make it a regular habit and do it every single Sunday. Because Paul knew that to give to a need, like we really want to give to a need, we have to have prepared for it. Anybody ever seen a need before and you just thought, you know, I, w- I wish I could do something right now, but I can't. I wish I could have given more, but I can't, right? We always got that in there. You know why? It's because we've missed this principle to just start putting it away every single week so that when God opens the door, we can walk straight through it. But Paul gave them this basic plan of being cheerfully generous, to give as a priority, to give from a percentage, and as God blesses, to progressively increase what they had given. First day of every week, in keeping with your income. And by the time he wrote to them in the second letter, he says, since you've given so much already, God will greatly increase the storehouse for your seed so that you will see an even greater harvest in your future. It's simple. It's simple. Priority, percentage, progressive giving to the kingdom work of God. Come on, say it with me. Priority, percentage, progressive giving. This is what God asks of his people. This is God's plan to fund his kingdom work. This is God's plan to show grace to our world. See, we don't usually see it that way. We don't usually do things that way. We think that evangelism is about going out and telling people how wrong they are. What if instead we approached people and started blessing them, started loving them? What if we told them that there was good news, that God was for them, and then started giving them good news and whatever their need was at the moment? What if we started shouldering their load? What if we bought them groceries? What if we put their kids through a year of school with their their clothes and their books and everything else that they got to worry about? Hello, church family. We can do this. We can impact our world. We can change 
our world. We can. I was, I was on the bubble of telling this story, and uh, I did not ask this couple's permission, and so I'm going to leave them anonymous. But in this church, there's something that is happening that, honestly, as a pastor, it's hard to advise this. Bishop probably knows well what I'm talking about. There's a couple in this church that has been praying for someone and, and loving on someone. And there's come a time in this person's life when what they're trying to move past has just brought them to a, a very practical hurdle that they can't get over on their own. And this couple has taken that person in. And this has happened not just now. This has actually happened before with other people. This couple has opened their home to this new couple that is trying so hard to come to God and running into barriers. And as they told me this story and asked for my thoughts on this, I just thought, man, this is so beautiful. Let me ask you, these people that are struggling, is there ever going to be a more beautiful gesture done to them in their entire life than at the moment of their need to find someone who has opened the door, who has pulled back the chair and given them a seat at the table? who's pushed aside the cushions on the couch and said, here, you can sit here, who's opened a door to a bedroom and whatever rearranging has to happen with the living arrangements of the rest of the family to say, here's a place for you to sleep, to overcome what you're facing and all of the darkness that is trying so hard to snuff you out and all of the voices that are telling you that you're not worth anything. And in a society that is so measured by what we make, hello, somebody. Come on, you men, every man in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. I've been out of work for a little while. I know exactly what it's like to have to fill out an unemployment slip. It, it, it feels degrading. It feels emasculating at some point. It's not, but it does. It attacks our ego. And there are voices that whisper at us and tell us that we're worth less than those around us. That we're not valuable anymore. And I came from a good family, but I can't imagine circumstances where somebody goes through that and they are all alone in this world. But to have the church of Jesus Christ open its arms, open in some cases its wallet, open its doors and say, we love you. And our God has given us a worth which we did not deserve. And so to you, we give a worth and a value that you may not feel like you deserve either. But in our God's eyes, there is nothing more precious than you. And through the church, grace comes into the world. And through the church, grace is brought through the church The good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel that we have become the kind of people who love and who give because he has loved us and he has given to us. Can we all stand in this room this morning? So this is the plan and this is what we do at City Grace and you need to dream about what God wants to do through you. If you're a member at City Grace, you need to dream about what is possible as God uses you to work out his plan to bring heaven on earth. As a member of City Grace, you need to give to that plan first. You need to give every Sunday. You need to give every payday. Maybe you need to set up automatic giving with the giving system online. Whatever it is, you need to give to that plan as a priority. What's eternal is most important The kingdom is what is most important. We need to order our lives around the rescue work of God. I strongly believe this. More than an amount, you need to set a percentage of your income. 
I think a good place to aim for is 10%. And I didn't have time in this teaching series to talk about tithing and what that's all about, but I think you should aim for 10%. But if you're brand new, there's probably no way you can do 10% right off the bat. But what if you start with 3%, 1%? And as God increases the store of your seed, you increase what God, what you give back to the Father. You increase what you sow into his kingdom. Just pick a number. Start there and progressively give as God progressively blesses. Now, I want to say this. If you're a long-standing member and you're giving, like you, you do 10% with both hands tied behind your back. You've been giving 10% so long, you don't even think about it anymore. But maybe you've lost your joy. I want to challenge you. At least for a season, you should try giving 20%. For a season, maybe you should try giving 15%. You should stretch your faith. You should find a need. Maybe it's not even in the church. Maybe you give 10% to the church and you go find somebody else and designate a percentage to help them and to bless them and ask God to use your seed to be a way of showing grace and bringing them into the kingdom. If we're not walking by, think about this. What in your life right now, if you've been living for God for a long time, let me ask you something. What in your life right now requires faith? What's requiring faith? What is driving you to your knees and making you pray? God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look ridiculous. God, if you don't answer this prayer, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, church, do you remember those days when we first started testing God? Do you remember the early days of following Jesus and how joyful it was when someone told us or someone challenged us to do something and we did it, not really sure what was going to happen. And when God came to, do you remember the boost? Do you remember the joy that you had in your spirit? Paul said, give from your heart. Paul said, give from your heart. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. And as you plant more and sow more, God will increase the store of our seed. God will increase the harvest of righteousness that we see. And all of this, all of this is the evidence, church, of His grace. All of this is proof of the good news. All of this is proof of the gospel that it has changed us. I can remember when we gave James and Sonia. I remember when we gave to Heather House. I remember when we did that remodel and we brought them back into the Heather House project and those people broke down and started crying because we had put paint on the walls, because we had bought them a new couch, but somebody had shown that you are not forgotten, that you are loved, that God knows who you are and God knows where you are. I remember what that was like and I can't wait to do it again. It makes my life full. It makes my life full of joy and peace and knowing that I'm part of what God is doing. Can we all come forward this morning? Amen. I know I've asked them to sing this song. It just happened that we sang this song for our song service today too. And we're just going to sing it one time and then I'll let you go. But can we come forward around the front and just celebrate together this morning the fact that we're blessed.